I don't know about you, but it feels like every summer I hear stories about wildfires in California. Last year, 2020, was a record breaker, almost 10,000 fires, 4.4 million acres burned up. This year, 2.5 million acres, but it's still going. Now, I'm, I grew up in California, so when I hear about stories like this and I look at pictures like this, I, I worry, because I have family and friends in California, and, and many of you do as well. And um, even though I know my family and friends are not in the areas directly impacted, it's still really affecting their lives. I mean, just talk about the air quality in California, oh my goodness. And of course, they also know people who are living in these areas who are in the danger of losing their homes and being forced to evacuate. I also worry about the trees. I grew up visiting places like Yosemite or Redwood National Park, and I think about what the fires might be doing to these wondrous trees and wondrous forests, and I worry. So it was a bit surprising to run across this tidbit this past summer about the giant sequoias. Now, now just let me be upfront. I am not an expert. I'm just telling you what I saw on PBS, OK? Uh, <laughs> giant sequoias are these massive, massive trees in California. And they live like super long time. I mean, some of these trees are over 2,000 years old. They go before the time of Jesus. And the surprising thing about the giant sequoias is that they, they can't reproduce without forest fire. Right, crazy, right? They have to have fire to reproduce. So, so according to PBS, the fires, they, they punch a hole in the middle of the forest so that sunlight can get through. They clear the ground so that the, the seeds coming down can actually hit the soil. And then, and this is the most important part, the, 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 the fires, they, they reach up to these pine cones, these seed pods that are way up there in the mature sequoia trees. And they heat them up and they get toasted, and they crack open. And then the seeds come flying out, okay? And that's how you get baby giant sequoia trees. <laughs> now, okay, I don't understand this. I have all kinds of questions, like, wait a minute, you have to have fire to reproduce? Wouldn't the fire just burn down all the sequoias? How does that even possibly work? I don't get it. If you do, after service, come up and explain it to me, okay? Because I don't get it. But this little tidbit sticks in my head because so often we think that fires are dangerous for trees and forests. Right? They're threatening, they're destructive. And yet, fire is supposed to be good for giant sequoias? And that gets me thinking about our own lives. Are there things that we think are dangerous, are threatening, are destructive, that might be good for us? And I think about us as the church, as the people of God. Are there things that are dangerous, destructive, or threatening that we think but might actually be good for us as the church, as the people? So that's what I want to get into today. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to welcome all of you who are in this room with me and those of you joining me, joining us, uh, Upper House, Fitchburg, Gospel Fusion, Tradition, a big shout out to those of you who are streaming this online or listening to our podcast. Uh, to the Chinese speakers, to the Spanish speakers, es un gustos tenerlos aquí con nosotros. And to everyone, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're so very glad you are here. Now, this is the 10th sermon in our series on the book of Acts. Now, we said this at the very first week that we're dividing the series into two parts. 
Part one is 10 weeks where we focus on Acts chapters one through seven because these are the stories about the church in her infancy. These are the DNA of the church and it tells us about this community that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the mission that God has given her. Okay. So this is why we call the part one empowered for mission. Today is the 10th week, the final week of part one. We start part two next Sunday. I'm gonna talk about part two uh, more later, but today let's close off part one. So if you have your Bible or your journal with you, please turn to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, we're looking at verse one through four. And the beginning of chapter eight reads like this, and Saul approved of their killing him. Okay, that's kind of a strange way to start a chapter. Okay, immediate questions, like, like who is Saul? Who is there and who is him? Okay, and why are they killing him? What, what this verse does is it, it connects us to chapter seven. And so Pastor Matt talked about chapter seven last week. Uh, if you didn't see it, you gotta catch it, okay? But chapter seven is about this man named Stephen. He is one of the leaders of the church. And because he is so good at explaining to people about Jesus, his opponents, they get so frustrated, they decide to accuse him of saying horrible things about the temple, about the laws of Moses, about God. And with these accusations, Stephen gets dragged in front of the Sanhedrin, which is the kind of the highest religious body of, of Jewish people in the first century, and he gets put on trial. And so Stephen has to defend himself. Now, I'm using the word defend there loosely, because, well, whoever said the best defense is a good offense, Stephen has taken that to heart. So instead of saying, you know, I heart Tim Pimple, I heart Moses, Stephen retells the story of Israel in a way that says to the Sanhedrin, to the people that was judging him, hey, you Jewish religious leader types, you're the ones who have betrayed the temple, the laws of Moses. You have betrayed God. By the way, you disobey the law, and by the way, you persecute and murder God's messengers, with killing of Jesus being the ultimate betrayal. Now, for some reason, that speech was not well received. Scholars debate a little bit about what happens to Stephen. Was it legal or was it kind of a mob action? It doesn't matter. The Sanhedrin, the people in, in, in judgment of him, charge forward, grabs him, drags him out of the city, and they throw stones at him until he dies. So this him here is Stephen. Um, the there here is the Sanhedrin, and they killed him by stoning him to death because of his speech. Well then, who is Saul? Well, Saul is a kind of a new character in the story, but he will become the most important character. In fact, he is the main character of the second half of the book of Acts. You probably know him better as Paul. We're gonna hear about Paul's story in two weeks, so we're gonna really get into his story. Um, but we are first introduced to Paul, or Saul, in, at the end of chapter seven, in chapter verse, uh, verse 57, 58. Uh, this is during the stoning of Stephen, and it reads like this. And at this, they cover their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, that they is people of the Sanhedrin, and him is Stephen. They dragged Stephen out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul is described as a young man who is doing kind of a coat check service for the people doing the heavy lifting of throwing the stones. And then we go to verse eight, chapter eight, verse one, and it says, Saul approved of their killing him. 
Now this is big. This is really big. Because what happens to Stephen in chapter seven, that's spontaneous. That's unplanned. That's an emotional response to a difficult speech. But you see what's happened here. Saul has been thinking about it. He sees what happens, he goes, hmm, I think we need to do that and do more. And so that's what happens next. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Okay, so there is a funeral tucked in here in verse 2. I mean, losing a person like Stephen must be devastating to this community. But that gets overshadowed by what's happening all around. You see, the killing of Stephen was just the first shot. What these verses describe is an escalation of persecution against the church. Now, we've been tracking the opposition to the church throughout the series. We've had three Sundays on it already. Right? The first Sunday, it's about Peter and John getting arrested and getting interrogated. And then we have the apostles getting arrested and getting whipped, getting, getting, getting flogged. And then we have the murder of Stephen. And that triggers a systematic mass arrests of Christ followers. And who is the main mover and shaker behind that plan? Saul. He realized this is a good idea, and he executed it. Now, what is exactly Saul up to? Well, remember from from previous talks that this church community in Jerusalem is about 10 to 15,000 people, and they're divided into these houses, okay? And so what Saul does is he he has his his, his people, and, and they're going from house to house to make arrests, okay? They're taking down one Christian community after another. So what's going on is if you're not one of those people who's been arrested, you're hearing about it, you have to make a difficult decision. Do I stick around and wait to see what happens, or do I make a run for it? Well, what ends up happening is most make a run for it, except for the apostles. They go right out. And of course, that's exactly the plan, right? See, see, see what Saul, Saul doesn't have room to arrest 15,000 people and put them in prison. They don't have a prison space, okay? But the idea is to use fear and intimidation. You can now drive this community out of Jerusalem. You separate them. The underlying assumption is this. The way you deal with these pesky Christ followers is you disperse them. You cut off the followers from the leaders, and then it's game over. It's done, okay? The church is dead, Because Paul wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the church. Now, when I read this passage, I can't help thinking about what they've gone through in that first church in Jerusalem. I can't help thinking about day of Pentecost power of God, different languages being spoken, so much optimism, so much hope, right? People who don't know each other, who don't speak the language, coming together and finding a way to, to form intimate relationships and friendships where you share life together, share meals together, share wealth and money and property together. It, it's so idealistic, so countercultural, right? There, there was outside pressure and there was internal tension, yes, but the church survives all that and then boom, it all comes crashing down within a few days. 
Right? People start to make the heart-wrenching decision, do I leave? Do I leave all this behind? People are feeling lost. People are anxious. People are separated. People are fearful. Do you understand? This is before the days of email and Zoom and cell phones. That if you separate, you might never see each other again. And for most of them, they never do. What they have created in Jerusalem, a, a, a community of tight bond, they lose forever. This is an extended family that's being torn apart. A church that is in ruins. And, and not, imagine if you're one of the apostles, you're thinking, oh my gosh, Stephen is dead. Oh my gosh, we're being destroyed. Everything we build has come crumbling down around us. God, where are you? These verses, just a few verses, just captures all of that. All of that death and, and, and separation and, and pain and fear. But there's one phrase in here that we need to pay attention to. That, the that, that all were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. We need to pay attention to that phrase. Now, Judea and Samaria, if you look at a map of first century Palestine, you would see that, okay, here's Jerusalem. The area in blue is Judea. The area in pink is Samaria. That's just the two regions around Jerusalem. If you run out of Jerusalem, you end up in Judea and Samaria. No big deal, right? But for those of us who, have, who are reading the book of Acts, this should trigger a memory. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is not the first time we've read the phrase Judea and Samaria. This is actually the second time. The first time? Acts chapter 1. This is before Pentecost. This is before the church, before anything happens. This is when Jesus is still around. All right, he's, he, he died, he resurrected. This is before he ascends into heaven. And this is what he tells the disciples in chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now when you first read that in chapter 1, you're just thinking, oh, okay, Jesus is talking about the gospel going out. But now we read chapter eight, we're going, wait a minute. Chapters one through seven, the church is bearing witness to Jesus in Jerusalem, right? You got Peter and John, the apostles, they're, they're, they're healing people, they're teaching people, they're resisting the leaders, the Jewish, 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 Jewish authorities, right? They're doing that in Jerusalem, and then chapter eight, verse one says, the people now are scattered into Judea and Samaria. And what we're realizing is that the story that, that Luke is telling about the spread of the gospel, it's in three phases. Jerusalem is phase one, Judea and Samaria is phase two, and the ends of the earth is phase three. So what Luke is telling us is God is not surprised by the persecution. God knows that it was coming. God knows about human evil, and he uses it to accomplish his purposes. This is one of the major themes in the Bible, okay? God redeems human brokenness. Now, I think this is one of the areas where we have the most trouble with God. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna own that. I'm gonna say we. I have the most trouble with God 
Because, I, 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 because here's what I want God to do. I want God to stop human evil. I want him to pretend that, to, 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 to prevent that person from doing something horrible that would damage and hurt other people. I want him to stop that evil. And God doesn't do that. God lets people do whatever the heck they want. <laughs> because he has a deep and abiding respect for human freedom. Now, I get that up here. <sighs> doesn't stop me from wishing, fervently wishing, that God would do more to intervene in our world. But he doesn't. Instead of preventing human evil, God takes our malice, our brokenness, our dysfunction, our egotism, our ambition, our hatred, our jealousy, and he works on it. And the creative God that he is, he seeks to bring good out of our brokenness. That's our God. And so Luke, writing 30, 40 years after the fact, he says, oh, Luke, writing 30 or 40 years after the fact, he, he writes about these events. And he says, yeah, in retrospect, this is horrible. But it's what God intends. It doesn't feel good going through it. It feels lousy. But it's what God intended. Fire is dangerous, it's scary. There is damage, there is hurt. But it's the flames of the fire that breaks open the seed pod and launches the seeds into the forest floors. Persecution is scary, it is dangerous. There is damage, there is loss. But it's the flame of persecution that launches the church into the world. So that's part one of the series. Now, before we jump to part two, I want to uh, remind us a bit of what we've been talking about for the first 10 weeks. You see, we've been talking throughout the series that, that this, this series, these stories, they form our identity. They shape who we are. Now, psychologists tell us that, that identity is not something that we're born with. Rather, it's something that we develop as we grow up and interact with the world around us. And identities are formed most foundationally when we hear stories and we tell stories about who we are. The book of Acts contains these stories that tell us who we are. So I want to spend some time reminding us about what Acts chapters 1 through 7 say about us. Number one. We are a multicultural community. The mission says reach the world. How do you do that? You have to be multicultural. And we start right at the beginning in the, in, 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 in tower with, with um, um, the festival of Pentecost, right? Different people, different language, different, different ethnicity. The Holy Spirit comes together and brings them together to a place where we can love and serve each other. And number two, we bring healing and wholeness to the world. There's a great story about Peter and John healing a person who cannot walk since birth. And, and that reminds us that we live in a broken and hurting world because it's in rebellion against God. And do you remember what, what Pastor Daniel said? He had a, that great phrase. He said, he said, transformed people transform people. 
Transformed people transform people. We, as we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, we bring healing and wholeness to this broken world around us. Number three, we are people up front of our brokenness. You see, we the people of God, we have this amazing calling, right? To bear witness to Jesus, to show the world who God is, to reveal his character, okay? Now that sounds really great, right? Whoa, huge pressure, folks, huge pressure. So what do we do? We start to pretend that we can live up to it. We start to pretend that we're more godly than we really are. And so Luke tells that crazy story about this couple who wants to convince everybody that they're more generous than they actually are. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 not here, not here, that's not gonna happen. You see, we are a people with a high calling and we are a people who are very honest that we fall short, okay? High calling, we don't make it. That's who we are. Because God wants a community of authenticity. Number four, we are people who give away power. Remember that story in Acts chapter six? Specter of ethnic tension rising in the community and the church as a body, as a whole, make the decision to hand power to those who don't have power in their community. We need to tell ourselves that we are people who give away power. Number five, and this is the big one. We are different from this world. We spent three Sundays on this one. We are different from this world. We are not part of the world around us. We are set apart as distinct people with different beliefs, different values, different practices, different ethics, and different allegiances. Which means our friends, our colleagues, our family members, they are going to think what we believe is right and wrong is gonna be weird. They're gonna think we're weird. Part of following Jesus is to, be, to feel out of sorts, out of touch, out of step with the culture around us. Okay? That's baked right in, and that's even without active opposition from the world around us. The book of Acts tells us okay, that what we have here in Madison, the ability to gather together like this to worship God openly, to be able to preach about Jesus openly, to be able to read the Bible openly, that's the exception, not the rule. Christ followers have faced, are facing, and will face persecution, even martyrdom. That is also who we are. Finally, we are people empowered for mission. This, this final one is the one that makes sense of everything above, and this goes back to week one, right? Week one, and here's the basic gist. The world is a mess because people have rebelled against God who is the rightful king of the universe, and God says, hey, I want to reclaim the world, reclaim the earth, to put it under my rule, so he calls together a people and gives them a mission. Bear witness to Jesus, the king of the new kingdom of God. That's who we are. People empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the mission. Do you know that? Do you know that if you call yourself a Christ follower, that you are on a mission, that you actually have a mission? Do you know that? 
Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be on a mission, to live a life that is reflective of this mission? Well, that's a big question. Let me start with this, is that there are people who actually do the mission as a job, not just pastors, okay? There are, there are people, there are black hawkers, okay, who make the decision to do the mission full time as a career. So I want to spend some time talking to you about that. And, what, and to do that, I've invited Susan DeMell um, to come up and tell us more about these people. So can, can we give the big hand of, round of applause for Susan? All right. Hi, Susan. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? Good. We're really close, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, we called each other, by the way. To... Yeah. So Susan, Susan DeMell is our director of impact ministry. And our impact ministry here at Blackhawks supports Blackhawkers who are doing the mission full-time. So uh, tell us about them. Well, we have uh, 30 global and national servants, and they're all over the world. Some are even in Madison, and here's some of their faces right here on the screen. So the next slide actually is going to show you where they're located. There we go. So all those dots represent each of our global national servants, 30. So some are condensed into a really big dot, but uh, that gives you a little sense of, of what we got going on. Okay, so, so these people, obviously, right? Super Christians, right? We're, we're like down here, like they're like way spiritual, way up here to do something like this, right? Am I right? No, sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> These are not people who go around and uh, wear capes and halos and that kind of thing. They're actually pretty normal, everyday people. Yeah? Yeah. So, okay, but then the only way they would do something like this is if they get like some kind of amazing car, right? like a burning bush, lightning strike, or maybe like clouds riding. You should go to you know, wherever, right? I mean, something like that, right? That's their story. No, not really. <laughs> Uh, no, the best really way to explain it is to let somebody else explain it. Let's watch this video. Bonjour Blackhawk, this is Aaron and Tiffany Robinson and we'd like to share a little bit about how God called us overseas to work with university students in Toulouse, France. I grew a lot in my faith over my, the four years I was at college. And when I was done, I had this feeling that I wanted to give back in some way. I wanted others to have the opportunity to discover God. As graduation was approaching, I was trying to figure out my next steps. And the thought seemingly hit me out of nowhere that maybe I could go to France for a year with crew. I had studied French and was never sure how or if I would use it. And that seemed like a great opportunity. And after graduating, I moved to Minneapolis, was working in a job that I really enjoyed. Um, I loved the city. I plugged into a great church and I just loved how life was going at that time. And one day a friend challenged me to, to join the team that he was leading that was pioneering the ministry here in Toulouse, France. He shared about the, um, the city and the need here, how there's over 100,000 university students, less than 1% follow Jesus. And there was just something in me that felt compelled to go, at least for one year. We saw the Lord change lives. So I decided for one more year and eventually met Tiff. She joined the team a couple years later. We eventually got married and we're still here with Crew 16 years later. Thank you for being a part of this journey with us. Wow. So Tiffany wanted to use her French. Hmm. And Aaron was just going to try for one year. Yep and then the whole thing turns into 16 years and they're still there. That seems so 
normal. <laughs> yeah, you know, they started out and uh, people start out and they see if it's a good fit. You know, they try it, like he said, right, a year. And sometimes maybe it's five years that they end up in that. Uh, maybe it's 16 years that they stay. And if not, they move on and they try something else. All right, so you don't have to have this amazing call, but, but they do some pretty intense stuff, right? I mean, I bet they argue with people about Jesus all the time. They debate the Bible and theology. They go and stand in street corners and yell at people, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't yell at people, Charles. They, you're right. They do some uh, really cool things, but it's actually some normal uh, stuff. Um, so they, uh, uh, I, you know, instead of me telling you, let's, let's let somebody else talk to us about that. Okay. Hey, Blackhawk Church family, this is Brian and Lindsay Smith with Athletes in Action. We currently serve in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was back in around 2007. I was doing some coaching at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and some part-time work at a communications company and really felt God leading me towards interning with Athletes in Action, and so I decided to give it a try. God helped me see in that first, first month of saying yes to doing this that the same thing I loved in that communications company and even coaching at the University of Wisconsin was I loved developing people and training people and coaching people. I, from a young age, felt passionate about the Lord's work and wanting to invest my time, the best hours of my day, into the mission, into the kingdom. Um, and so being involved in Athletes in Action at the University of Wisconsin myself and seeing the impact that someone walking alongside of me, discipling me, helping me grow in my faith, helping me learn how to share my faith with others, the impact that man in my life, I wanted to give back and be able to um, make the same kind of impact on others' lives. And even though we're not at the University of Wisconsin anymore, I'm serving in a staff care role um, with Athletes in Action. Yep, and I do a lot of writing and website work and resource development, Bible study curriculum type stuff for athletes and coaches. And we are um, delighted that the Lord has called us in this path and grateful that we get to serve him in this way and be blessed. Okay, so Brian does website development? <laughs> that seems pretty normal. <laughs> yes, he does. And uh, others... Uh, uh, do, uh, like Lindsay, actually do relational uh, work with um, college students and athletes and young professionals, they mentor young professionals, all different types of stuff. There's some people who um, give uh, expertise to farmers in uh, developing countries, others who teach on, uh, really share about caring for the environment and how to do that. There's others who uh, develop um, databases and use their administrative gifting to help organizations be more effective. There's folks who use cross-cultural skills and foreign language skills, like Tiffany used her French, uh, to come along communities and build into leaders in other places. Uh, so there's a lot of different things, um, including art. Uh, there's somebody who's actually an artist who uses his art for the mission. Wow. Yeah. So Normal things that people do, and you can try it, see if you like it or not. That's right. So if somebody's listening, watching right now, and they're saying, you know, this is something I like to explore, what should they do? So uh, contact, email, really, um, impact ministry at uh, impact impact at blackhawkchurch.org and we'll uh, have somebody connect with you and just try to help you figure out maybe what your next step might be. Okay.
Now, you mentioned that we have 30 global and national servants, uh, Susan. Now, um, how are we as a church uh, supporting them? So you may not know this, but you're actually helping to financially support them already if you're giving to Blackhawk. A portion of that goes to that support, and so thank you for that. Uh, in addition, there's other ways. If you want to do more than that, there's other ways to, to be involved, and one of the ways is to join our global and national encouragement team. Ooh, that sounds really cool. Um, <laughs> what is that about? What are you doing there? So uh, if you join that team, you'll be connected to one of our servants, and you will hear their stories. You'll hear um, their struggles, be able to pray with them. You'll learn from them. Uh, you'll be able to encourage them in a lot of different ways. Wow. So how do you join? So you go to www.blackhawkchurch.org slash X. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, Susan, thank you so yeah. much for um, giving us your time to tell us about our global national servants and, and what they do. It's been yeah. really great hearing from you. Good to so, uh, uh, a round of applause for Susan DeMell, please. <laughs> so, yes, there are opportunities around the world and here in Madison to do the mission full-time. However, I'm thinking for most of us, that may not be a good fit. And you're thinking that, oh, that's true. No, I, I, I'm, I'm probably, that's probably not me. You're thinking that. And you're thinking, well, if we have full-time people doing the mission, what I should be doing then is to pray for them and to financially support them. And that's it, right? Uh, wrong. The mission is for everyone. The mission is for everybody, not just the professional full-time Christians. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 8, okay, because there's one verse we haven't looked at yet. And it reads like this. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Do you guys remember the strategy that Saul adopted, right? right? Disperse the people. Send them out of Jerusalem. Cut them out, off at the root, right? So to separate the followers from the leaders, Right? That would just destroy the church, right? Wrong. That strategy is a total bust. It totally backfires. Because you started with 12 apostles and seven other leaders. They're doing all the preaching and teaching in one place in Jerusalem. And now what happens? You've got thousands and thousands of people spread out all over the place, and they're all preaching the word. The fire comes up and dries up that, 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 that cone, that, that seed pot, and it just breaks open, and the seed goes flying everywhere. Each one of them, a Christ follower, each one with the life and the power of God within that person to be able to land and form a new community of Christ followers. Why? Because every single Christ follower has the Holy Spirit. This is the big idea of the new kingdom, folks. Every single Christ follower is given the Holy Spirit, which means every single person knows God, every single person knows the teaching of Jesus, and every single person can bear witness to Jesus wherever they are. That is wild. That's what launches the church into the world. Do you know that? Do you see that? We are a people who bear witness to Jesus wherever we are, whoever we are. Okay. And that's the big idea of the part two of this series that's coming up next Sunday. For, for 10 weeks, we've been talking about our church's identity. 
Well, next series, we're going to talk about what does it mean to actually be missional. Okay? We're going to actually look at what it means to actually bear witness to Jesus wherever we are, in our home, in our schools, in our workplace. So as we are starting this new series, or this new part of the series, if you haven't already, pick up one of these journals. Right? Pick one of these journals. This, this is a great, a great thing to have. It has all the passages that we're doing in this series, and there's room for you to write down your observations, your questions, your thoughts. Okay? It's good to have. Pick one up at the info desk or download a copy, a PDF, um, from, from the website. And for the next five weeks, we're going to look at stories from the book of Acts about people bearing witness to Jesus. Now, I know this idea is going to be really uncomfortable for some of us. The idea of bearing witness to Jesus, to our colleagues, to our friends, to our family, sounds terrifying. Some of us were like, I don't know how to do that. And some of us were like, I'm not even sure it's the right thing to do. I'm not sure it's right to try to change other people's beliefs. We have all kinds of questions and concerns. We're going to get into all of that. Okay? We have five weeks. We're getting to all of that. So, Blackhawk, we have been in Jerusalem for 10 weeks. It's time to leave. Let me pray for us. Father, I can't help but remember and think about what that must have been like in Jerusalem. To have all that loss and all that pain, all that suffering, all that fear and anxiety, and the questioning of what is it you are doing. And I know it's easy in retrospect to see what you have done. And I wonder about the same thing for us. Is that as we potentially live in, in, in these certain situations that there's anxiety and fear, and we don't know what's going to happen, we trust you. That you are the ones who make good out of the human evil that's around us. You actually make good of what we do because human's evil is in, is in us. And you partner with us and turn what we do into good. We're grateful for that as well. We want to learn more and we want to be people who are missional. Empower us, help us. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.